Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 53. Regular listeners will have noticed that our new opening music has been ramped up this week with a more dramatic version that could have come straight out of the movies. That's because my guest is the man who composed it, Chris Tolley. And for this episode, we are heading into the music business. As a boy growing up in Edinburgh, Chris liked nothing more than a quiet evening in reading Mozart manuscripts. Music was his destiny. And after university, he landed a job with Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's really useful group, rapidly progressing from photocopying sheet music to taking the lead on some extraordinary events, such as the concert for Diana. Then, after a spell at Radio 2 running a massive opera competition with Dame Kiri Takanoa, he moved into writing music for TV and film. You may not know his name, but you will almost certainly have heard his music. This is a slightly longer episode than normal. Chris was so interesting that I didn't want to cut anything out from the conversation. He discusses his family, life during lockdown, and the power of audio branding, as well as giving us a sneak preview of a track from his forthcoming album. The interview with Chris starts in 45 seconds. But first, a word on behalf of our partners, A1 SEO, who help businesses win more traffic from online search. Traffic arriving from search engines is much more likely to convert than traffic from other channels as you're being visited by people at the very moment they are searching for the products or services you offer. And Graham Grieve, the founder of A1 SEO, is now offering listeners to this podcast a free, personalised, 15-minute mini-audit of your website. Simply drop him an email at graham at a1seo.digital with your website URL and a couple of keywords that you want your business to be associated with. Chris Tolley, musician, composer, extraordinaire. It's wonderful to have you on on the podcast. I normally start by asking people where they are today, but I happen to know that you're actually not that far from me in in a beautiful part of East Lothian. So maybe I could ask you, what what is your view? Are you looking out of the windows you speak to me? Yes, I, I have this wonderful view of the Lammermuir Hills. Um, I'm sitting in my studio, uh, which provides, instead of a sort of the usual urban backdrop that many people in my position are used to, I get to look out of the window and see birds and hills and, and wildlife, and it's, it's wonderful, but also um, distracting at the same time. <laughs> in, in, inspirational and distracting. I, I've, got, I've got no distractions here at all because I'm in, in what used to be a little bathroom uh, and I've only got a skylight to look out of, but maybe that helps to focus my mind. So as is traditional with the, the podcast, we're going to kind of look back at your, your early days and see how your, your career was shaped by those experiences shortly. But first of all, I think it'd be interesting to hear about how lockdown has, has been for you, Chris, particularly as it inspired you to write a, a track called Lockdown Blues, which was premiered on BBC Radio 3 back in July. So how has this strangest of times been for you and, and, and the Tolly family? Well, we're lucky enough to both work from home anyway and always have done, well, have done certainly since we moved to Scotland. Really, the childcare issue, like so many millions of people, has been the, 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 the major one, other than the general fear and concern about the state of the world. Um, so that's been 
you know, the childcare has been a juggle and, and, and actually because of that, the overwhelming emotion for me has been one of, of loneliness really for, f- from the period sort of March till the beginning of August when the schools went back. That is because my wife works for a, a global company. And so she, we worked out the plan of action was that she would switch to American hours. So working from one till 9.30, I would work from seven till one and we'd meet in the middle, swap over with the kids. And, and, um, you know, I would take on the second half of the day. That meant that we ended up meeting up in, in, in bed, just about able to say goodnight, um, and then fall asleep and start again the next day. So it was, it was quite lonely, an awful lot going on, an awful lot of news, and 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 we didn't really talk about it too much because we were just too knackered to do so. That's meant that the weekends have become completely sacred. Um, and as I just said in that introduction, we we live in the middle of nowhere. We've got a decent sized garden and, 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 you know, we made that decision to, to live rurally a few years ago. So on that side of things, not much have changed. Um, work-wise for me, it's been tricky because uh, TV production has been at a standstill. I'm, I'm a television composer mainly. Um, but uh, again, as you, as you um, mentioned, I, I've made use of my, t- my time, my sort of downtime, professional downtime, and I've written a new album. Um, which includes Lockdown Blues, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about later. But I also write li- what's called library music, which is which is music that goes into um, what are called production music libraries for production companies to then take out almost literally as a library. They license it and it goes into to productions. And I've written about 80 tracks since March, which is which is quite a lot. Um, and um, I'm about ready for for a, you know to write again to picture. That's what I'm here for not just writing, um, you know, library tracks, as much as that's been very fortunate for me to be able to do. 80 tracks, that's pretty prolific. And and we're going to sort of talk about that in more detail. But first of all, I want to bombard you with four questions about your early life. So where did life life begin for you, Chris? How how do you feel that your upbringing shaped you? Uh, And, you know, were you always likely to pursue a career in music? What was the, the young Chris Tolley? Uh, thinking and indeed listening to musically well I was born in Edinburgh um, and music has always been at the very top of my list really as long as I can remember as long as I had the 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 cognitive ability to to recognize what music was and some of my first memories with music my mum's actually just given me all of my old school reports and my first primary one school report noted that I had a natural inclination towards music and of course in those days that was learning puff the magic dragon on a recorder or or something you know something very simple but i do remember learning that piece of music and i remember my first piano lesson at the age of five or six um uh, and and those things have stuck with me in terms of you know family and things doing music my parents are both medical mum's a nurse and dad's a surgeon both retired and they both love music dad in particular you know i remember we listened to it's early 90s when classic fm first started you know we'd let, let, sit in the car and listen to music and, and, and dad had asked me about it and, and, and mum would always be there and we, we'd talk about it and it then it was classical music for me always classical music which is really not cool when you <laughs> you know you get to the age of 10 and you, you, i used to instead of reading books in bed i used to sit and read mozart scores i just loved it i was obsessed with it um so yeah, and so you you were never drawn to to any of the kind of contemporary music that your your, your school friends presumably were, were listening to. Not till later, 
not till I was probably in, you know, adolescence. Um, you know, I, I, I learned the piano and I, I, I went to, um, I went to school in Musselboro and in, in, in junior school there, you know, I progressed through the grades. I had these inspirational teachers, both of whom were classical pianists. Um, and I, you know, would, would develop through listening to, 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 to music. And I, I would, I would learn different pieces of music and then go and listen to recordings of them and then pretend that it was me that was playing them. Um, and then eventually got to, to kind of 12 or 13, I'd lost interest in the grades and, and have, fell in love with Rachmaninoff and became obsessed with him. And, and that's where a lifelong, that's, that was the real marker for me when I first started learning some very complicated pieces of music at quite a young age. Um, mm. I would, uh, became obsessed with it and listened to it and, 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 and learned more and more and more. And that was it. That, that was it for me. Um, so, uh, if I would then kind of assume that the next natural step would be to go on and, and study music at a university or college of some kind, but you actually studied ancient history at St Andrews. So what, how did that come about? Well, senior school was different. I was quite a rebellious kid, you know, not in any, any awful way, just in, 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 you know, not adhering to what you were told. And I, I had a difficult relationship with the school's director of music there. And I, I had a music scholarship, but I, I really didn't get on with the guy um, so much so that I refused to do GCSE music uh, and there was nothing stopping me. There was nobody to tell me what to do because I just wouldn't have done the work. Um, so by the time I was 15, that conservatoire route was gone. Uh, and in hindsight, actually, that's a fortunate thing was because I, looking back now, I was never a good enough pianist to make it on a, on a global level. I was never going to be a world-class concert pianist. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a lazy pianist. I, I can, you put any piece of music in front of me, I can play it instantly. I can sight read it, but that was actually a real hindrance because you actually never learn anything properly. You just kind of get the basics of what, of what you're doing. And then you move on to the next thing that somebody puts in front of you. And, um, so the, 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 the way that it fell was that I left school without any real music qualifications and, and everybody was going to university. That was what people did then. Um, and I applied and got into St. Andrews, uh, which is where my sister went. And that was the only reason I went there. I didn't, it was almost just, that was, that was the closest thing I had to knowing um, what university would be like. So I went there and I, as you say, I did this degree in ancient history, but very quickly I realized, you know, I grew up a bit when I was kind of nineteen twenty, and all I wanted to do was to sit in the in the in the the music department and play music and and it was recognized and they they gave me a scholarship there to to study classical music and classical piano um so that kind of love affair started again um but really what happened uh that made a big big difference was in my the end of my third year i wasn't writing at this point i, I was really i was i was a pianist and i then went to america for a summer abroad and met a jazz pianist who was this amazing jazz and blues guy and he taught me one or two licks and he taught me that music didn't have to be what was written on a page it could be improvised it could be you know all these really cool things and and um so i came back and i and i <laughs> I'm kind of feels like i'm bragging a bit about scholarships but I got another scholarship to study to learn jazz piano to convert from classical to jazz and and that again was just a, another massive step for me kind of realizing my identity and, and where I wanted to go and um 
so I was never going to go off and and do one of the traditional things that like a uh you know go into the city or or, or um mm. you know a, a law firm or, or or anything it was just uh, my focus was on getting my degree done and then going and, and finding my way in the music industry uh, and in, in fact you've got a, a job with Andrew Lloyd Webber's really useful group uh, yeah. and worked your way up into some incredible uh positions and, and things you, you ended up doing there so could you tell us about that yeah, well, it was it was an old school kind of it was an advert in the Times, and they didn't even mention what the company was. They just said assistant job available, production assistant job available at a um, world famous West End production company. So I applied for it, and and incredibly, I got the job, and and the, so moved from from St Andrews to London, um, and. It was amazing, you know. This, I still remember like the smells of London for the first time, and all these these amazing experiences, and and, and just the volume of people. Um, the job started off as as any graduate, you know. I was photocopying stuff, um, photocopying music, really, which was I couldn't, I could have stood there all day just photocopying music. I was happily doing it, and then, you know, my natural tenacity and musicality kind of came through, and I was interested in everything, and and. Um, worked my way up a bit and, and eventually was 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 managing the music side of things for the composer be that organizing studios or um I did a lot of things like editing and arranging songbooks for publication so uh you know a, a phantom of the opera say uh, the, you know the piano vocal um book was those sort of things were always uh, published by me we planned concerts um I worked as a rehearsal pianist for, for various things and basically just making sure the music side of these multi-million pound shows was ready to go and being on the team that, because it wasn't just me on the team that managed these projects from the moment the first note was written um, to opening night. And I believe you had a pretty big gig there in terms of the concert for Diana. Yeah, that was my first job as a, um, having been newly promoted to, to, to the managing the department um so it was pretty it was enormous we we had it was 20 minutes of music in in this in this thing and the, and the diana memorial concert was basically um the princess of wales's um uh favorite music be that duran duran or tom jones or or, or andrew lloyd Webber um musicals and so we had we did this kind of um medley 20 minute medley of of, of all the, the great sort of songs so we had Andrea Bocelli was sung the music of the night and and all the the famous Joseph sang any dream will do and Sarah Brightman came and sang something or other um so yeah it was amazing it was stressful um because there's a you know there's a lot a lot riding on it it was it, I think worldwide audience was was a billion couple of billion something that I can't remember exactly but it was it was over a billion and when you hear those sorts of things bandied about you kind of uh, you can either sink or swim, can't you? And, and it was um, it was a good good experience. And then, you know, obviously with a huge amount of experience under your belt, you moved to Radio Two. So, what did you do there? I was brought onto Radio Two. They they did a lot of our. They um, have a show called Friday Night is Music Night, and they broadcast a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber specials. And I got on very well with the production team there. So I moved there, and, and um, because they were doing a, a new radio uh, um, opera talent show. Um, with Kiri to, Dame Kiri Takanawa, the, the famous New Zealand diva, um, so I was brought on both to judge the competition with with Dame Kiri and um, and some others, but also to to manage it 
um, from a sort of almost an events management point of view as well. So at the beginning, I had to listen to the to it was about fifteen hundred entries um, over the space of two or three weeks. It was it was nuts actually. I mean, and the quality was astonishing. Like some of the stuff I got to hear, right. but it did it it got me to a point where like I couldn't walk into a pub because the, the, I would hear the notes in, in the conversations and things like that. It was so intense that pitch became so sort of tuned into all these atonal sounds that you hear in all these places that for a couple of weeks, I just had to sit in a, sit in a dark room and not listen to anything. It was, it was very intense, but I mean, it, an amazing opportunity. And I met some wonderful, wonderful young up and coming opera singers, some of whom are now on the, on the great, well, not at the moment, but on the great stages mm. around the world. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I, I did there on this show Friday night is music night. And it was, it was an amazing experience. What next? Cause I mean, you obviously ultimately became a, a freelance composer, but how, how did that come about? And I believe there's rather a romantic story attached to your shift into <laughs> composition. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the romantic shift is that, that when I proposed to my wife, um, we were planning the wedding and, and, and I, because of music being so important to me, I didn't want just your usual Mendelssohn's or Elgar's or, or, or whatever's for her to walk down the aisle to. Uh, so I decided to write something and I'm actually, I don't think I've ever told you this phrase, but I, I actually, I play the bagpipes as well, um, which isn't, you know, terribly relevant to my career now. Um, but I wrote um, a, a piece for bagpipe and organ um for her to walk down the aisle so, and, and and i realized as i was writing it, obviously it was a very emotional thing to do and 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 it, and it was romantic i pat myself on the back for that um but wrote it and and it was it was all right you know it was quite good and and i realized after that that there was a that there was something in me that wanted to sit and wanted to write i enjoyed people's reactions from it and that piece of music could have been rubbish it didn't matter because of the environment that it was in people were still saying wow that was great um and that you know your ego gets a little bit of a lift everybody's got one and 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 i wanted to make music for people to listen to um mm. which a little bit further down the line I, I i got to do and so that so that was the the the, the um the real step from me being a musician to me being a fledgling composer and at that point uh, when we moved up to Edinburgh was when it really, really made a difference. I, I, I fell out of love with London. In fact, I never really fell in love with London. It was, I was never a Londoner. I, you know, I, I always had this hankering for being out in the sticks. And um, we had a choice where we were going to either move to the home counties and we were going to move to Scotland. At that point, I was between jobs. And my wife phoned me after having had a couple of Proseccos on a Hindu in in Edinburgh having this amazing time in a spring day and she said look what what are we thinking here come on let's have a little chat and let's let's move back there you know i'm from there um and it had to come from anna you know it had because she's not from edinburgh um so we moved up there and and i got a job working for yamaha selling um selling pianos three days a week and then yamaha um wanted to do an advert on classic fm but there were issues with all of the rights and things um, for the music they wanted to use so i kind of had the guts to put my hand up and say look i'll do it i'll write the music so they said okay we'll give it a shot but you know we're not going to pay for it because you blah 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 um so i did it and it was um so for classic fm who are owned by global radio and global radio um 
loved it and came back and wanted me to work more with them as a freelancer. And I was working these three days in this, in this piano showroom. Um, and then did, did various, um, adverts for them, basically jingles. Uh, and that's what, that's what really made me realize that it was possible to make a career out of it because these magical things called royalties started to come in and, mm-hmm. and, um, there was obviously, you know, there's an income to be made for, from it. The second half of the interview continues in a few seconds after this. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. So what sort of work are you, you doing now, Chris? You, you mentioned the, the library music, but you know, pre, pre-lockdown. And where might listeners have, have heard your music? Oh, I mean, anywhere, really. It's, it's, it's you know, I've written for, for, for countless documentaries and, and uh, a lot of historical stuff. And um, the, in March uh, this year, I had, um, I was the soundtrack to Sport Relief on Radio 2. So they had all these awful stories and 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 how um and the retro, retribution from these stories um being told on radio too and and they used my music across that whole week to soundtrack that which was brilliant um particularly given my you know they were my former employer and and uh, it was kind of back there in a way and um so I, I do stuff like that and I wrote the, the the some of the music for a channel 4 game show last year called Beat the Chef which is a crazy thing where they have, basically it's a game show where you have to contestants have to try and outcook a chef um so i had the music on that which is all very quite camp and, and good fun and um as i say you know I, I write lots of library music um so music ends up anywhere around the world from you know um the one show did a thing about panic buying <laughs> at the beginning of lockdown i was i was their soundtrack to that <laughs> and um it must be quite bizarre when you suddenly hear your music pop up on on tv it, uh, it, noise must have been up in your mind as another check comes through <laughs> well indeed but but it's also it's my job you know it's it's cool initially he's, 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 it can be i mean we we were sitting happily anna had been away um in february and she came back we sunday night we were just sitting chewing the fat and country fire was on in the background and suddenly it was my i was the accompaniment to a, a piece about otters um which was really cool um but you do kind of you most of it you miss because you get you get your state mm. so you get a royalty statement once a quarter and you see the stuff that for example that, that i forget the country but but i i was on a soap opera in somewhere in it may have been estonia or moldova or something like that so obviously i'm not going to watch that you just you know you just have that that income um comes in and it's um it's it, it is it's just it's just what i do and uh, to, don't get me wrong. If I, if I was ever on Neighbours, for example, that, I would retire. I, that would be it for me. That would be my my um, my greatest achievement. That hasn't happened as yet. Well, who knows? I, I, kind of a, a line to that. You're also working in audio branding, which is kind of writing more than jingles. You know, it's kind of writing soundtracks for businesses. Yeah, and you do this for some pretty big brands around the world. So. A lot of businesses listening to this what are the benefits of, of audio branding for, for clients and, and what is the, the process that you, you go through with that oh they're huge benefits and it's you know you look at the the, the hectic digital and content driven 
content driven world that we live in and sound is becoming as important uh, for brand identity as, as as traditional graphic design because sound can be a logo if you if you look at um you know the ba adverts for example the, the, the flower duet everybody listens to the flower duet now and thinks of ba um so you can hear that you know on on a on a tv ad or on, on a radio ad but 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 actually more importantly on a kind of lower almost more local level is um hold music you know you don't you don't pop into the vodafone shop or um uh, anymore with a with a problem i mean in fact you, it's difficult particularly with what's going on at the world in the world at the moment it's a hassle and you, you would go and look on their website and when it's really bad you phone them and you're angry and you're often on hold for 20 minutes listening or longer listening to music that isn't sonically designed to be played down a phone and that mm. just increases customer anger so what i do is i write music that's easy to listen to while your phone is on a speaker and you you know you're making a cup of tea and there's always a clear voiceover giving valuable information that helps in an angry situation which is by and large why people phone um these companies that helps calm people down um well that's the plan anyway um and the process is it, it, like it like in any form of branding is, is it, you know there's there's a brand workshop with key adjectives and um and actually more importantly negative adjectives are written down um the style of music comes next so for example, I, I've been asked to, or had been asked to write a, a, for a, a law firm in the South of America who wanted a professional country music vibe, which is kind of an oxymoron, but but, but always doable. So, so you always you, you, it's a brand sound that you want to 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 be able to make um, that business stand out on their own terms and have it sound exactly how they feel. Or how they want to feel and then then it's a it's a three or four minute track cut down into 60 30 15 and and five second um uh edits and they're all you know given in perpetuity so they can do what they want with them and the the benefits of having that sort of stuff as opposed to dipping into a um one of the the sort of um the, the cheaper libraries is uh, production music libraries is is that one of the things i do or was just starting to do before lockdown hit was i write things called trailer tools which are for the the film trailer music industry um and i'd like to start putting that into my audio branding service which so so what that is is i basically provide three tracks identical in structure in speed in key in chord progression but all have completely different vibes on a, on a very recognizable theme and the plan for that with film trailers is so that it's it's for an editor who's sitting there at four o'clock in the morning with a deadline he can cut pieces of music to the scenes and the story that he wants to tell in a trailer so he can cut from an an epic section to a sad section without the music edit, editing becoming complex so it's almost literally cut and paste and where that is relevant for brands is is that for example with a car manufacturer they have totally different demographics who they need to attract to their range of cars so there might be a more upbeat sexy track for a, an affordable hot hatch to that same track the echoes of that track being played by a string quartet for an suv and the point is that the the tracks can all sit under the same brand umbrella instantly recognizable between one another as being from the same brand and unifying all of the kind of sub compartments of that brand so basically it's a it's a it's just a, it's a full service one-stop shop brand workshop just with sound 
rather than the image. Now, as, as for many, no doubt, amateur musicians who might be listening to this, and I'm an extremely amateur musician, this all sounds fabulous. Sitting <laughs> in your lovely country house, looking out over the fields and, and spending all day composing music. But you've alluded uh, earlier to the fact it, it can be quite lonely. And with any job, there must be challenges and difficult aspects. So what, what are the kind of the downsides to it? What, what, what do you struggle with? Well, I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I love creating music with the aim of stirring emotions and, and it's a great privilege to be able to do that but you know if you've asked for it so I'll I'll scrape the barrel and I'll give you the worst <laughs> but it's uh, it I'm almost always writing music for somebody else to brief so hmm. you think about you know I don't just sit you know with my feet on a desk just dreaming up melodies and, and, and things and, and staring wistfully out the window it's <laughs> it, it's you're given a brief and you have to get it right pretty much first time because there are plenty of other people in your position who want the gig. So, mm. you, you know, you wake up one morning with, say, if, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to write something for, for, for picture, that music is there to support the picture. So, so you're trying to lift the picture rather than taking over from it. So there's a lot of, you've got to hold yourself back quite a bit with it. And, 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 you know, that French horn section that you suddenly dreamt up when you woke up, that doesn't you know that has to you have to hold back with all of that sort of stuff so it's it's this is music for media so so you have to you have to understand that you're part of the bigger picture and that the music really is often is is incidental it's almost like air conditioning in some senses and that if you were to walk into a into a into a shop and suddenly somebody turned the air conditioning off you'd notice that that air conditioning wasn't on but you also wouldn't notice that it was on in the first place so music often has to be there if that makes any sense at all uh, uh, music has to be there as a uh, to support the dialogue of something it you know it just sits underneath something and you almost can't hear a melody um so it's just it's important to bear that in mind and, and and to sort of hold back from things so it isn't this great big Rachmaninoff symphony that you're writing every week it's it's often you know inoffensive stuff um, which can be frustrating at times, but makes it all the more exciting when you are uh, creating your your own music. Um, and you, you launched your debut album beneath the surface last year. So, uh, Chris, what what inspired the project? Well, this isn't an easy one to to talk about. It's um it's it's about my mum and and her um her breast cancer diagnosis in late two thousand and nineteen. Um, it was so mum was diagnosed and um uh it was sorry it was late 2018 i was just thinking about that then um but um so she was diagnosed and 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 it was like you know somebody's ripped your heart out from you hearing those words come from her and anna had to go abroad a couple of days later at that point, we didn't know we'd, she'd been diagnosed and we didn't know what the prognosis was going to be, um, which was about the most terrifying couple of weeks of my life. And I would, wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Anyway, Anna was supposed to be going away. And, and I said to her that she had to. At that point, my son was three. So she so she Anna went and did what she needed to do for work. And, and I was looking after my son um, and, and trying to, you know, keep my chin up from from it. And And so that was the. I ended up going after he'd gone to bed, I'd, I'd go and, and sit in my studio and I, and I needed a way of getting the, the, 
the kind of stress and the emotion out. So I started writing and I wrote Beneath the Surface, which is the title track, basically all about exactly what I just said. It, it, you know, you, you've got all this stuff, particularly with a child in your life, with, you know, um, somebody who completely depends on you. You've got to hold it together for them. He didn't know any of this was going on. So I just poured it all out, all the stuff that was going on beneath the surface of, of of the facade that I was putting on. And and then, you know, while Anna was away, that we were waiting for all the news to to to, to come and um I mean that was just just lonely as as hell, you know, mum and mum getting um you know scan results back and things and um so that to, to move forward to 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 a to a more positive side of it, if there are positive things about this is we got mum's results back and I'd carried on writing. This is what Anna had got home. This was just before Christmas. And um, I carried on writing because actually a different narrative form because it wasn't, I mean, it was still bad, but it wasn't as bad as we had feared. And, uh, you know, mum wasn't going to have to have chemo. She was going to have a different form of treatment that meant she wasn't going to lose her hair. And she wasn't going to, you know, become that sort of gaunt look that 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 poor poor cancer sufferers you know, have to, have to deal with. And, mm -hmm. and she wasn't going to have to have any major surgery either. So it was all going to be managed and, and some form of control came back into our lives. And so, so the second half of the album then became much more about love and, 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 and this sort of sense of calm. And there's a track called a sense of calm and about how much closer I became to mum, because you suddenly have this, this, this horrible understanding of your parents' mortality. And that's just a fact mm -hmm. of life. And then there were things like, you know, I would, I would sit and I'd read my son a bedtime story, and you just see the innocence as he, as he was falling asleep, and um, he'd had no idea about it, and there was this sort of purity about that, and and so that it, for me, you know, it makes me emotional talking about it, and Mum's still very, she's very very well, and, um, but it really that writing that album shaped me as a composer because it because it gave it took. I think it took balls to do it. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. do it to become a commercial recording. I did it as a, as a piece of therapy and I did it for mum, but then mum listened to it. We all come out of the woods a little bit and we were all, we had this lovely Christmas and I sent it to mum and she said, look, you've got to, you've got to release this because, because actually it does have this narrative that is, you know, I'd somehow managed to, to get into exactly what mum as, as the person in the middle of all of this was feeling. Um, and so she, you know, if, if it can help another person who's going through it, see that there isn't this, it isn't just this terrifying thing. It is this, to use a cliche, this kind of journey um, that you go on and it's a new normal and all the kind of buzzwords that are used, you know, around this sort of thing. And um, so it was released and, and, you know, a couple of nice reviews and BBC picked it up and stuff. And, and so it made me, it made me want to work more as a, as a um, recording artist, um, which is, you know, where I am now uh, on, as well as my television and um, sort of corporate and advertising career. I now I'm writing um, what I want to write on the side. And you've got, and you've got another album in, in the pipeline lockdown. So when, when, what can we expect from that? Um, yeah, so that was recorded. It's called Home. Um, oh, sorry, it's called, it's called Home. Yeah. Um, I don't think lockdown is a bit of a heavy metal. So. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> I was looking at my notes. It was recorded during lockdown, which is what I should have said. Um, yeah, well, I, I always wanted, you know, having said what I've just said to you, um, that album came from a pretty dark place. Beneath the Surface came from a dark place, and, it, and, and lots of nice things happened with it. And my parents were proud of it, which is the most important thing. Um, so I, uh, the lockdown had a bit of a, 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 a positive effect in, in a way because all of my work, my paid work, just fell off the edge of a cliff overnight. There was nothing. TV production stopped. Um, and obviously, I, you know, as I said to you, I've written all these library tracks, uh, um, you know, for as and when anybody wants to use them. But I thought, well, I, I want to write an album. Let's do it. We were stuck at home. And being stuck at home isn't being stuck at home here. You know, it's being in a wonderful place. Um, where you've got these amazing things going on all around you with, you know, birds of prey and deer just strolling down the street, particularly during lockdown, because there were no people to to frighten animals. And so you could see all this stuff happening. And then I woke up one morning and, and looked out the window very, very early in the morning and saw the sunrise. And this all sounds terribly romantic. It kind of was. I went and I sat and I wrote a track called First Light. And then a, I had an idea that actually, why don't I write basically about the duration of the day in the place I love where I'm not allowed to leave at the moment. Um, so I did it. So I, I'd sat and I wrote about the birds of prey, a track called Soaring. I, I wrote a track called The Har and the Roe Deer. Um, which is, you know, you see a, a roe deer w- walking through the mist is about the most quintessentially Scottish thing you can, <laughs> you can imagine. And, um, you know, lots and lots of, well, not lots and lots. I think there's, 10 or 11 tracks on the album and and um you know it was stuff i wanted to write and it's all solo piano as well i thought there's lots of there's lots of kind of electronic and synthetic elements in my um in my previous album and i i thought just actually just sit and write some melody at a piano and um yeah we'll see where that one goes it's finished and ready for release now so we're going to hear one of the the, the tracks at the end of this episode chris uh, lockdown blues but uh, I've got one more question for you, and then we're going to move on to for some little quick-fire questions. But for, so first of all, something I always like to ask my guests, if you could give one piece of advice to the young Chris Tolley making his way in the world, what would it be? Actually, this is something I think about a lot because I have a five-year-old and an 18-month-old, and so I have to think about the advice I would give give them. And I think I would tell them to trust their instinct and follow their passions. And that's probably the sort of, it's a, maybe a bit of a cliche to say that, but, but I, I wrote my first piece of music at 10 years old, but a schoolmate of mine told me it was rubbish because that's what 10 year olds do to each other. <laughs> so I tore it up and I forgot about it and went off and played, you know, TIG or whatever. And I've spent almost all of my life so far playing and studying and loving classical piano and being a, pretty good pianist but not a world-class one it took me until I was 28 to when I wrote that music for my wedding to to realize that I had a a a bit of a a leaning towards it and an ability to to write and then it was a another six or seven years before I could actually call myself a composer when I did that classic FM advert and then after that it was it was um you know when I finally went freelance uh you know fully writing on 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 my own that was 18 months later where I really started to earn a bit of a living from it so that's not far off 25 years from writing a piece of music to learning a living from it which is a a pretty long training contract so 
you know, I would say to me at 18, do what you want to. Don't be discouraged by anybody who scoffs at your dreams. Not that many people did scoff at them. And I think if I'd said to my parents at 18, I want to go and become a composer, they'd have said, absolutely, go for it. They would have probably warned me about it because that's their responsibility. But, um, you know, I would I'd, I'd give some, myself some fatherly advice and say, look, it's going to be tough uh, because it isn't your PAYE industry. You, you, you know, you're not just going to get a paycheck at the end of the month. Uh, but God, the, the, the positives outweigh the negatives, that's for sure. That's uh, it's interesting because that is it's a really common theme in uh, answers to that question because uh, what, what something crops up often is that people have a, a great passion for doing something when they're in their uh, when they're at school and they have a meeting with their they had a meeting with their careers master who said oh no, don't do that you know complete waste of time that pops yeah. up a lot um, it, it ha- happened to to me and it ha- happened to many people I'm sure so good advice um, your children are in safe hands. Okay, okay, now. <laughs> okay, so now five quick fire questions, Chris. To round things okay. off. Beethoven right. or the Beatles? The Beatles, I would oh. say. Uh, I've never really got Beethoven. Um, and McCartney. Anything by McCartney written for the Beatles is, uh, is um, you know, Let It Be or Yesterday or Hey Jude. They're, the melodies are just astonishing. Um, and I've, I've always struggled with Beethoven. So, yeah, the Beatles. If you weren't a musician, what would you be? Uh, well, I can. I'd like to chop wood for a living. Is that allowed? That'd be a lumberjack. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> There's a song about that, isn't there? Yeah, like, I'd, I'd go with just something outdoorsy. You know, I, I, um, definitely nothing in an office. That's 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 ship has sailed. You have guests coming around for dinner. What signature dish will you serve them? <laughs> I don't have a signature dish. I have a dish. And that dish is spaghetti carbonara. It's the only thing I can make. It's the only thing I'm allowed to make, if I'm honest. <laughs> okay. That, that, that'll, that'll be very nice. I'll be around later. Uh, what's the last book you read? Honestly, The Gruffalo. Um, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been trying to pick... Like, I mean, that obviously, that's like half joking, but that is literally the last book I read. I read it last night. Um, and every night for two weeks before that. And finally, you're going to spend the rest of your life alone on that mythical desert island. What single piece of music would you take with you? Well, Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. It's just, it's the most wonderful piece of music. In fact, Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, very specifically, because I have about 15 or 20 different recordings of it, performed by Vladimir Horowitz in Carnegie Hall in New York. It's... Um, it just takes my breath away and always has done. And and I will never, ever bore of that. I think that's the important thing about the desert island is it, you know, it has to be um, something that you'll never bore of. And as I say, I can listen to that once a week and it still makes me feel emotional. So yeah, I'm happy with that on my own. Well, preferably not on my own because I quite like my family, but um, I'll take, I'll take Rachmaninoff as a, as a, as a close second to my family. Well, that's that's one to check out. Thanks very much, Chris. It's been really interesting talking to you, hearing hearing your story. And we're going to close now with Lockdown Blues.
To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.